0: It's Monday, June 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Hey, hey. Taylor Muckerman is normally here with us on Mondays. He is out this week and next week for a very good reason. He's getting hitched. Is that really a good reason? I think that's a, yes. That's the best sure, of reasons. It is the best of reasons. So we're gonna see if we can conjure up a little wedding day advice for Taylor, who oh, gets married man. on July
1: second. <laughs> All sorts of things coming to coming to the top of my mind. Well, we're looking for helpful advice (laughs) for Taylor, so let's not smart aleck responses. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Uh,
0: We're going to get into the business of televised sports, which is uh, is a pretty interesting business these days. But let's start with what continues to be topic A in the investing world, and that is the fallout from the Brexit vote. And we saw this on Friday, Mm -hmm. and we see this again today with uh, the market down, and we were talking earlier this morning. You, me, Brian White, Matt Argusinger, Simon Erickson, and one of the things we talked about was uncertainty, which I which I feel like is a word that sometimes gets overused. I don't think it's overused in this case. Yeah. I think the amount of uncertainty that we are seeing in so many different areas er- you can you can go big picture uncertainty. Or you can just drill down on individual industries, or different situations,
1: and you're. I think that's a lot of why we're seeing what we are seeing. Yeah, and you know, I think so. And just kind of channel surfing around over the weekend, and um, certainly what we had talked about, I think on Friday on Molly Pool Money, and just you're right. I think generally the word uncertainty is is. Probably you get a pass for something like this because it truly is. I mean, even with the certainty of the vote, I would argue there's even still the the just just a small inkling of uncertainty there. And that I mean, the vote is non-binding essentially. I mean, I guess you got to hold politicians feet the fire eventually. But I mean, there are still a number of different ways this could play out. I mean, when it's all said and done, so. I mean, uncertainty is sort of the the easy way to look at it. Um, I think. I mean, I think a number of things. I think they're probably. I I I think really this Brexit regret. I think this voter regret is going to be something we we see more and more about here as the week progresses. I think a lot of people voted with their um, emotions maybe instead of with their heads in this case. And in we were talking before taping of about a politician or one one of the people I guess who was very pro Brexit and they're talking about, okay, now you would take that 350 million uh, pound sterling, and instead of going towards the EU, now you put it towards the UK health system, blah, 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 and they're like, well, no, we can't really do that. And they're like, well, wait a minute, your, your entire platform was based on that. And you talk people into voting this way based on just one of those, that, that could be one of the productive uses of the money, and you like, well, we can't really make that happen. Um, that, that's probably a bit optimistic. So, I think you're going to see people feeling like regret. Based on the fact that maybe they're not gonna necessarily uh, see materialize what they thought could materialize from this. And so who knows how that all plays out? I mean, this is one part of a very what's going to be long and convoluted process. and and all it takes for investors is one headline to take it the other direction, right? I mean, tomorrow, Janet Yellen could come out there and talk about how the Fed is going to be working in conjunction with the European Union to make sure that the markets don't uh, feel too much pain from this one. Perhaps pain is really what the markets need. I mean, I think it's arguably an overvalued market going into this on Friday. I think Friday's action, I think today's reaction, I think all of this maybe brings the market back down to levels where we feel like the valuations make a little bit more sense not necessarily where we feel like everything is on fire sale right now. And so I think uh, a number of people asking over the weekend, is this where you just go crazy and start buying everything up in sight? And no, I don't think so. I don't think any anything like this is ever one of those cases. I think you use occasions like these to buy or to, to either open or, or add to positions in drips and drabs a little bit here and there. use some of that that cash that you have in reserve um, because there will be more fire sales to come. Brexit or no. And some
0: of these stocks, particularly businesses that are based in the UK or do most of their business there, it makes sense that they are dropping to the degree yeah. that they are dropping when you look at banks. Sure. Uh, when you look at commercial real estate and how heavily tied to London it is and and so those all make sense. But then we also see a decent amount of stuff getting swept out With the tide that maybe doesn't deserve to be, and and that's that's where I think think that foolish investors are are right in sort of looking at this and saying, "Oh, wait a minute, we've seen this movie before. We know what happens. We know that there are stocks that are going to drop five and ten percent for reasons that have nothing to do with the underlying business, but have everything to do with emotion
1: and panic selling." Absolutely, and I mean even businesses if they if they have some strong connection to the U.K. Uh, I I don't think people probably that are looking far enough down the line to realize that those businesses are probably fairly well diversified beyond the U.K. But to your point, I mean, I think we spoke about that a lot on Friday as a team with Million Dollar Portfolio. I know that I had spoken with Fox News in the morning about that and saying, listen, I mean, you've got to look at some of these businesses and say, okay, Ellie Mae, for example, a U.S. mortgage software provider boston beer uh they don't they don't really sell much if any beer in the uk whatsoever um those are businesses that really shouldn't feel any pinch at all now i do think it was pretty interesting actually <laughs> i did notice that uh boston beer is one of the few stocks in the green today <laughs> maybe that's a testament to what people like to do in times like these sure. <laughs> drink their sorrows away I'm not uh advocating that by any by any stretch but Again, I think you look at some of those businesses that have no real exposure to something like this. Look at businesses beyond something like Amazon, that obviously has plenty of exposure to the European Union, to the UK, and whatnot, but plenty of exposure beyond that as well. Very well diversified business uh, where the long term outlook is probably not so affected. And uh, I mean, look at all of these social media stocks. Like the way information is disseminated today. Facebook, Twitter. I mean, these are the two easy names right there where you say, well, these guys, this is how I'm getting all of this information to begin with. So the net, the end of the day, is probably a win for them too. So plenty, plenty of of great ideas out there. Um, All it takes is sort of a a mentality of number one, don't go into a a situation like this thinking it's an all or nothing. You just got to spend all of your money at once, but also have a watch list understand those businesses that are not truly fundamentally affected by something like this. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, when you're looking at a three five year ten year time horizon there, that that makes these decisions a lot easier. Let's move on to the business of
0: sports television. And a, a narrative that has gone on for the last couple of years. It probably has subsided in the last, I would say, six months or so, but, but certainly gained steam in 2015. The idea of a sports, a televised sports bubble, that the, the cost for networks to buy the television rights for professional sports, uh, for the World Cup, for the Olympics, et cetera, et cetera, was going up to an alarming degree. And there were people, a lot of smart people, just saying, This is a bubble that is about to burst. And a, a pretty compelling uh, story in advertising age this morning that the bubble isn't going to burst anytime soon. <laughs> and, and let me explain why, or at least sort of the, the thinking behind this. And the story was first and foremost about how ESPN and Fox are, are closing a deal with the Big Ten Conference, one of the biggest college athletic conferences in the United States a 2.6 billion dollar deal for football and television uh, and basketball games that goes through the end of 2023. But then when you look at other major sports, let me just share a few of these numbers. And these are deals that are locked, okay? So with with this deal, um, add to it that Major League Baseball, the television deal is already locked through 2021, the English uh, English Premier League through 2022 the NFL also through 2022, the NBA through 2025, the men's and women's World Cup soccer, the deal is locked through 2026, and the Olympic Games are locked through 2032. So, the bubble doesn't appear to be bursting anytime soon, and I think that this probably gives these huge companies, Fox, ESPN, which is owned by Walt Disney, NBC which is owned by Comcast uh, all of these networks it if nothing else it buys them time to figure out what they're going to do and it also it, it, in some ways it seems like a little bit of a reflection on their part that cord cutting is not a concern to a huge degree yeah
1: i think i think probably cord cutting is it's a better headline than it is a reality. I mean, it's not to say it's not happening, but I don't know that it's happening necessarily to the degree that, that perhaps many think um, it ultimately will. I think that what's going to be really interesting here is this sort of sports bubble talk goes on is how the growth in mobile digital media channels like Facebook and Twitter, how they continue to change this space. I think five years from now, when these guys are all Back at the drawing board, sort of trying to assess how much to to assign to whatever league and, and games and um, rights. I think there's going to be there're going to be more channels for distribution, more more very valuable channels of, of distribution. And I think the real reason why I think the, one of the one of the most important parts of sort of this move to mobile and digital is that advertisers get a lot more information on really. The advertisers they're slinging, or the advertisements they're slinging, in and how much value maybe um, can, can be can be extracted from those. I mean, targeting is a lot easier to do when you know your audience, and that's the problem that linear television has faced for so long. Now, I don't think linear television is going to go away when it comes to sports. The beauty of sports. Is that it's always a new story and it always rewrites itself. It's the beauty of news, right? It's it's a brand new story every day, and it's essentially the nature of its market. Rewrite that that dictates the content. It's, it, it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot to do. You just run the teams, and then the competition that writes the story every year. And so there's a lot of value there in that it's fresh, it can be inspiring, it's very relevant. Certainly sports is very global. So I think that when you look at this from an overall market perspective, it's really attractive. I mean, the one thing that all of those major deal makers have in common, Comcast, Fox, ESPN, they're all big time businesses, very well capitalized, tremendous financial resources and, and tremendous brand names within the space, right? I mean everybody knows it they've gotten very good at what they do. And so I don't think that'll change. I think what changes is really how they open up to a greater audience and then utilizing the mobile and the digital space to better target advertisements. And at some point, yeah, economics rule. I mean, they're only going to be able to justify so many dollars going to whatever league or season that they want to get. But I think that we're going to still see the same main players in the space. I think we're always going to see them kind of bidding off of one another. It's hard to see any one of them being truly disrupted to the point of being more or less obsolete. Um, I think the name that kind of surprised the one thing I was thinking about when I was looking through all this stuff this morning, you know, the name that you don't really hear when any of this stuff comes up is Google. Do you? I mean, yeah. think about it. You know, Google for all of it, all of all of what it does so well in search, uh, they really are not playing a big role in this. I guess directly. I mean, certainly indirectly, but I'll bet you that Google would love to have um, one of those social media. Distribution channels that that would be able to sort of open up this market to them. I mean, I think that's part of the argument why people think Google would would be a suitor for Twitter. Um, and maybe that will happen. Who knows? I mean, I, I would rather see Twitter be able to just kind of make it on its own because I think it's a lot of stuff that it can do. But um, yeah, it just it 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 got me to thinking about this next ten years. Maybe maybe the last ten years was the Google decade. Maybe this this coming tech ten years is going to be something like the Facebook decade. It's interesting.
0: I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. When you do, we we do tend to uh, leave out Google when we're talking about, particularly when we're talking about video entertainment. We're talking yeah. about Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and and AMC and the different streaming, you know, HBO Go, all that sort of thing. But it, it is interesting to uh, it, it. now makes me wonder for the people who are working on Red, which is the the YouTube subscription yeah. service. I'm wondering if that's an idea that ever gets floated, or if it just got knocked down a long time. I mean, certainly Netflix has been pretty upfront, kind of since day one. Like, no, we're not interested in sports. We're just not. Yeah. And that's and you know they got they got plenty of other ways to succeed. So I, they've clearly made that determination. I'm, I'm wondering if if Google has done the same thing, where they're just like, you know what, we're we're not interested in this. Or or they may now look at this and think, you know what. We got just like these other media companies have five years to figure out what's going
1: to be the next iteration of these deals. Maybe Google is thinking the same thing. Maybe so, and may I mean, when it comes to Netflix, I mean, on the one hand, I think that's a neat question to think about if they would ever participate in that arena. By the same token, I tend to think. I mean, I hope they really don't actually, because I think that what Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos have done to this point. I mean, not only had they really helped dictate sort of this new space in in internet television, but they're really focused on doing what they do well, and they they do it very well. Um, it doesn't come cheap. I mean, that's the one thing with Netflix's business model; it's always going to require a lot of money to kind of keep bringing that entertainment. And so, I think uh, to this point, probably wouldn't be one of their specialties in bidding on and then. Distributing this kind of sports content. I think it's a lot easier to think they could just make that leap. And I'll give you just a small example here, but I've seen like over the past couple of years, Fox Sports has taken over control of the the US Open golf championship. Now, I mean, I know most people probably don't really care a whole heck of a lot about the US Open golf championship. For golf nerds like me and maybe Graydon Tripp, who's out there, I know is probably watching this stuff too. You probably look at the way Fox has covered the U.S. Open the past couple of years and realize they really, to date, no offense, they suck at it. It's really not good. <laughs> Gee, why would this they take comes offense a, at that? Well, it comes from a lifetime of watching this golf tournament, and they have not done a good job at all. Now, maybe, you know, maybe they'll have the opportunity and time; they'll get better and better with it. But I think it just it speaks to the greater point that I think there are businesses out there there are there are media properties out there that know how to do this and do it really well. I just think it's a lot more difficult to make that actual leap than to imagine them making the leap. So I don't know that this is something that Netflix would do really well with anyway. I I feel like yeah, Google is is always kind of testing and iterating but never really committing. And so I don't know that this red thing gets off the ground all that much, maybe it will, who knows. I mean, I think YouTube is obviously phenomenal. I think it's interesting to see that YouTube is looking into the live streaming um, game as well, kind of following the Periscope and Facebook Live um, lead there. But but yeah, I mean, the beauty of sports, it's live, it's in the moment, people want to see it then and there. And And we have more distribution now than ever before, and far better ways to measure uh, everybody that's watching, whatever they're watching and wherever they're watching it, so you can target the ads, you can target the teams, you can target the sports markets. So I imagine it's going to be bringing in a lot of dollars, but probably those dollars will flow to some other parties in the process as well. Well, and
0: you raise a good point that is is often overlooked when we talk about the amount of money that's being paid out by these networks, and that is, great. Now you have the rights to broadcast them. Who? Who are the people who are actually going to bring us the games? Because that matters, whether it's golf, soccer, baseball, whatever the sport is, you need smart technical people. You need smart play by play. I mean, there are yeah. people who will watch playoff hockey simply because of the announcers. Yeah, that's a very and, good point. And, and I think that you can go through any sport, whatever your favorite sport is, you've got your favorite announcer, your favorite play by play person. And and that makes a big difference, and that, that certainly helps with the the end product. No doubt. Taylor Muckerman getting married, just days away from getting married. When is it? Is this Saturday? It's uh, this Saturday. It's, it's July second. Wow. Yes, we're coming yeah. up on July. We're we're cl- we're about to close out the uh, the first half of 2016. Um, one piece of advice for for Taylor on his wedding day, just for the day, just for the day, just for the particular, just day. for the wedding day itself. Um. And if you need a moment to think, I'll just share mine. Well, yeah, go ahead. I think Uh, I have. I think I have. But yeah, let me hear yours first. uh, Mine is, and this was one of my brothers gave me this advice uh, because it was it was clear because if you if you if you're getting married and you're having any kind of reception with any number of people, uh, you're essentially putting on a party, and you want anytime you're having a party, you want people to have a good time. And my brother's advice was, look, people are going to have a good time. (laughs) Stop worrying about that. (laughs) If you're feeding people, you're giving them something to drink. People are going to have, you know, because particularly if you've got tables, you're like, I want to make sure people are sitting with people they know at this table or that table and all that sort of thing. And he said, Look, these are adults. If you give them something to eat and something to drink and there's music and dancing and all that sort of thing, and they can't, they still can't have a good time, well, that's on them. (laughs) That's not your fault. That's on them. So just relax and have a good time. And the other thing that he said was, Look, you're gonna have a good time. People are gonna have a good time. And even even if they don't have a good time, what what's gonna happen? A knife fight's gonna break out. And then think <laughs> about that. Then everyone's gonna to go to work on Monday. And what'd you do this weekend? I went to a wedding, and a knife fight broke out at the reception, <laughs> which you know which, you know, gave me a good laugh. And I I rather stupidly uh, at some point between my brother telling me that story and giving me that advice and that example, between that moment and the actual wedding day. When my then future mother-in-law was particularly nervous about something, I attempted to share the same advice with her, and I included the part about the knife <laughs> fight. That did not go over well. <laughs> she just looked at me like, "What? What are you talking about? And why
1: am I letting my daughter marry you?" She's like, like Carol, I think we can. You come out. Let me. We need to talk. Yeah, for a we got to talk about this guy. Okay, so that's. I, so just have fun, Taylor. Have fun, absolutely. And I, you. We did the same thing. We had a you know reception where we fed him dinner and you know dinner, drinks, dancing, all of it, and it was great. Everybody had fun. And I think the one thing I would say it seems probably from the guy's point of view chivalrous to say, well, if there's something throughout the day and you have a crisis come up because inevitably there will be at least one, it probably seems chivalrous the guy to just jump in there and try to resolve the situation and just be like, hey listen, on the make sure this happens. This is our wedding and nothing go wrong and I'm telling you you'll have to answer to me. There's a much easier way to deal with this, dude. I'm gonna tell you. Because we had a situation where our we were planning our wedding, but the added added degree of difficulty was that we were living up in this area but getting married down uh, in a suburb of Atlanta, so we were there. Was some logistical Largest and clear planning. there? Yeah, and and so it turned out, it turned out during the during the timing here that the the bakery that we had chosen to make our cake at some point decided between our planning and the actual day to go out of business. <laughs> now, thankfully, thankfully they recognized that they had made a commitment to us that we had paid for it, and they had the cake and everything. But there was a delivery hurdle coming up, here, and they're like, listen, we don't have the vehicle to deliver this cake. And you don't think about it, but when you're talking about like a 10-layer, 16-layer cake or whatever, the chances of that thing tipping over are pretty good. And so, they called us the day of the wedding, and they're telling me about these delivery challenges and whatnot. So, I'm kind of sitting there, and I look at my wife-to-be, and I'm like, you know, so this is pretty crazy. Like they, They're telling me they're going to have a problem delivering this. Man, my wife grabbed that phone and said, listen here, you son of a (laughs) you-know-what, you get that cake to this church, or you get it to the country club for this reception, (laughs) if it's not there. And I mean, she went on this little mini tirade. and It was a very classy tirade, but I'm going to tell you what, that cake was there. No question. Do not attempt to mess up a woman's wedding day. She will have her way. She should, right? But for the guys out there, hey, listen, don't be afraid to leverage the power of that woman, and say, "Hey, listen, I'm not gonna even get into. You got to deal with my wife to be. And it's not gonna be pleasant. So let me go ahead and you, you tell her what what you were just telling me. I'm just she can picturing get the you resolved.
0: watching her on the phone, and uh, you're you're just falling in love with her all over again. You're <laughs> like, oh god, I've so made the right decision. Well,
1: there was love and a little bit of fear because I was like, <laughs> man, I just know that I probably shouldn't screw up like this because I'm looking at her thinking." I know you'll get this taken care of. You're not going to like what I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to go ahead and let you talk to them and let them tell you what the problem is, because I know you'll fix it." And she did fix it, and and yeah, 15 years later, almost 15 years later, um, my love for her has only grown. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk
0: about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market MarketFoolery. The show is mixed by Anne Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.